From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. Doubling up this week, instead of doing two separate episodes, I'm going to go ahead and just do a little bit of a question and answer, and then follow that with a preview episode of the Virginia game. So we're going to double those up. I'm actually recording this on Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to those of you who will be listening to this. Uh, I presume I'll probably post it this evening, and... uh, Then also uh, to those of you who are basking in the glow of overeating or undereating or whatever you do on Thanksgiving, very thankful for listeners and thankful for a lot of things in my life. I I hope uh, many of you out there also feel the same way. And uh, regardless of all sorts of issues that we have, uh, those those of you who are listening to this podcast, uh, just the fact that we have the the resources to spend time doing things like paying attention to football shows how privileged we are and how, how much we have to be grateful for. So really grateful for that. Now let's go ahead and move into it. As always, I'm thankful for my sponsors, EPR creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina and garage makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. As always, very thankful for, their faithful support of this podcast. If you have any needs in any of those areas, they're the best in the business in those areas. Give them a holler. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. All that information is in the show notes. So let's go ahead and I'm going to do a little bit of, uh, just answer a couple questions that have come in since uh, since recording the last couple episodes. And I was actually going to do a um, a hot takes episode on the Clemson game that was not played. That was just basically a, uh, like some clips from gospel, (laughs) gospel songs that, uh, that that game was not played in the context of, of, uh, of this week. Obviously that game would have been played with Tate Rotomaker at quarterback as well. Uh, because Jordan Travis would have been a, he was a game time decision and he was not going to play that day. So that's a plus. And, um, and yeah, there's a lot, a lot of things there that, yeah, Florida state needs to play that game, but ultimately not getting, absolutely pounded in, in, in at that particular timing you get to get a little bit of a stay of execution and you know Dabo has put his foot in his mouth repeatedly ever since then that that can't be anything but a win for Florida State <laughs> in terms of all sorts of stuff it's so it's rare that Florida State's on the on the positive PR side so hey you, you take the wins where you can get them uh, <laughs> yeah good good for Mike Norvell and 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 handling it well uh, handling it like a professional and, and moving forward though, you know, obviously both teams, players on both sides wanted to play that game. Coaches on both sides for the most part, I'm sure wanted to play that game. Obviously if you're Clemson side, you worry a little bit about injuries in a game that might be a blowout. And then if you're on Florida state side, well, you know, there's reasons to not want to get embarrassed. So either way, you still want to play the game. Though. You still want to get the, get the opportunity to get your young guys, some, some reps and all that and work from there. So got a few questions I'm going to get to before moving into the Virginia preview, but I'm going to make this a fairly short and sweet episode. But, uh, first, first question is given that this year does not count against eligibility. Do you see Brady white as a grad transfer option? He could be a great leader for the young quarterbacks next year in Norvell's offense. Answer to that is yes. I think that's a viable possibility. I mean, Brady white is not an especially talented quarterback. He's not really, in my view, a solid NFL prospect. And if I'm Brady White, I'm looking at, hey, I could come back and get one more year of education paid for. I enjoy college football, most likely. And uh, I've got an opportunity to, to 
you know, bounce around and do some things. And as it turns out, I could go down and I think the situation in Tallahassee, given, given the changes that have been made often uh, in terms of the offensive line, things are starting to look pretty decent there. I know this offense. Well, I trust those coaches. I, I'd, I'd at least think about it if I'm Brady white and if Brady white decides to reach out and potentially make that uh, a possibility, if you're Mike Norvell, you don't turn him down. I mean, you, he's already shown he can manage the game within the confines of your offense and he can make the necessary throws to actually keep your offense reasonably productive. And they were very productive with him at quarterback at, at Memphis now against different competition, but still he's going to have some, some players around him. So, and, and he was successful. You know, they threw the ball. He scored 40 points against a, a pretty good Penn state defense there. Though Penn state this year is pretty terrible. So, you know, he, he, I think that would be a pretty good situation. I, there are a couple other quarterbacks that I think might show up in the portal, might not show up in the portal, but if they do, I, I'm confident that Florida State will have a lot of interest. I do know that they are very much interested in getting the right graduate transfer quarterback. Now, who that's going to be, up in the air, but I think Brady White is a very viable option because, again, when you get when you can get a guy that actually runs your offense, that can run your offense, and has proven that he can run your offense with success, you're going to take that. And I tell you what, if you can take Gainwell, who opted out of this year for Memphis, if you can get him to transfer at at running back, if you can if you, if if he wants to transfer and and come over and and run your offense and do all of that, then you're going to take Gainwell as well, <laughs> no doubt. And suddenly you've gotten better in the backfield and you've, you've got a, a chance to be at least competitive on your team. So I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see who they're able to pull in in the grad transfer market, in the instant eligibility transfer market this year. I know they're, they're planning on taking double digits of, of players who fit that category. And it's going to be really important for them to do that because they, they just need to fill out the roster and they're going to need to be able to show some proof of concept to be able to recruit moving forward. And they know that for the 2021 class, they're, they're going to have a hard time really finishing and closing that class out as well as they'd like, given that they just haven't really had, they haven't been able to, to get out and, and beat the bushes and hit the road and, uh, and do all of the stuff that you would do as a, as a first year staff, given the, given the, the weaknesses that have been, uh, further exposed by COVID as well, that, that has also not helped. So, yeah, this is where if you've got guys who know they can play for you, who know their who know your offense and who trust you, you, you take those guys. Absolutely. All right, next question. Next year, if Florida State exceeds expectations, will it be because we are that much better or because we have nowhere to go but up from rock bottom? Well, I think it depends a little bit on what the expectations for next year are. Now, looking at the schedule, it's going to be a very, very tough year. <laughs> this this is going to be depend. What are your expectations for for next year? Is my I guess my first question. I mean, next year there's not a whole lot of of help on that schedule. You've got two games that you you can kind of pencil in as wins in the non conference: Jacksonville State and UMass. But then you got at Florida and Notre Dame. I think we can justifiably assume that those two are probably going to be losses. And so if we're talking about expectations, non-conference expectations are probably two and two for next year. And then you look at the conference schedule and crossover number one, your, your rotating crossover game is scheduled to be at, no, at North Carolina, who's probably going to be the favorite to win that division. Sam Howell's final year in, in Chapel Hill 
They're loaded on offense again. And that defense, they've recruited really well. The last last year's recruiting class was defense loaded. They're going to be pretty good on defense next year and a lot better than they are this year on defense. And they're, they're going to bring in some freshmen this year that can also contribute. So suddenly you're playing a team that's more complete than the North Carolina team that you played and beat this year. You upset them on your home field in a game where, to my eye, North Carolina probably wins seven out of ten of those games. You had some key turnovers. You had the block punt. You had a pick six. You had a second block punt. You know, you don't get those plays that that really bounce your way there, and North Carolina wins that game going away. So you're going to play that team in on their home field next year, and they're going to probably be better. Their running backs won't be as good, but everywhere else, they're probably going to be pretty much even or better compared to this year. So likely loss. Then your other crossover is obviously Miami. <sighs> probably, I mean, based on this year, you expect that to be a loss. Then you get at Clemson. That's three probable losses that are on your schedule in conference. Yikes. Feel good about the Syracuse game. Wake Forest, eh. Coin flip, maybe? Wake Forest is, 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 is in a healthy spot as a program right now. So you look at that schedule, NC State, Syracuse, Wake Forest, Louisville, and Boston College are the games that you say are feel really winnable. But you're going to have to win those games. You're going to have to win out to have a winning record. Boston College 1, Louisville 2, NC State 3, Syracuse 4, Wake Forest 5, plus the two scheduled wins in the not in the non-conference and you go 7 and you go 7 and 5. So if you're going to have a winning regular season, you're going to have to win out at Boston College, home against Louisville, NC State at home, Syracuse at home and at Wake probably going to have to win those games, win all five of those games, go five and zero oh there to have a winning record in, in, in 2021. So if you're expecting a winning record in 2021 and you overachieve that, then that's my answer to that is because you're that much better. Now, if you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, so that those five games are really 50, 50. So you're expecting maybe two and five, two and three out of those five games. Let's say you lose to Louisville, lose to NC State, and lose to Wake, and you beat Boston College and Syracuse. Just pulling, you know, some randomness in there. Then at that point, you finish. You got four wins. You know, you go four and eight. So if that's your expectation going into next year, and you outperform that, and you go five and seven or six and six, then maybe that's just because. You've got nowhere to go up. If five and seven is overachieving at Florida State, then that means you kind of hit rock bottom. And so any 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 overach- overachieving from that that spot is nowhere to go but up up from rock bottom. But if you're expecting like six and six or five and seven already, and they manage to go seven and five or eight and four against that schedule, if they go seven and five against next year's schedule, to me that represents a huge step forward for this program, which is unbelievable to talk about. But to me, if Florida State goes 7-5 and five in 2021, that means that they landed some grad transfers who actually were able to make a, make a difference and that they were able to get some cultural changes that made a difference and that they're moving in the right direction as a program. Because against that schedule, 7-5 and five is going gonna, is gonna to mean they actually played well. And anything better than 7-5, and five, you're going to have to beat a ranked team. Probably going to have to beat a ranked team to go 7-5. and five. 
But anything better than seven and five, you're beating, let's see, North Carolina, probably top 15 team next year. Miami's top 20. Clemson's top five. Florida's top 10. And Notre Dame's top 10. So you're going to have to beat. You're going to, if you're going to go better than seven and five, you're going to have to beat at least one team in the top 10 and then be perfect against all of the teams outside of the top 20. So yeah, your, your expectations, really, you have to just set expectations low as a fan base next year, know that this is a a, a long-term rebuild. And then if they exceed those expectations, then that means that they're, that they are, that it's a combination of having been rock bottom and that your expectations are low. And also that they are starting to show some progress. That, that's how I would think about it. So I'm not going to get into it this episode, you know, but it will come up down the line as things are confirmed. But of course, there's you know plenty of discussion about uh, an, a, a few more players who are based on a lot of the things swirling around the program, that those players are no longer available for the 2020 season and potentially beyond that. Uh, we'll, we'll deal with that as those things actually hit. But I'll just say this, they're continuing to try to address cultural issues and cultural things within the program. And, and they're, they're narrowing down to the guys that they think they can actually build with. And we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to some of this stuff in, in the next episode or maybe two episodes from now as we, uh, address, uh, address how that actually is going to play out and, and some of the things, some of the implications of some of those things, but do want to kind of nod at Yes, there's there's plenty of stuff that's going on there. And ultimately, if you're the coaching staff, you have to draw a line somewhere and say, look, if you're not going to live according to program expectations, then that's that. That's that's all. So now we get to the Virginia preview. I'm, I'm not going to belabor this, but I'll just say this. Virginia is one of the better teams Florida State's played this year. And they are in many ways the opposite of Florida State as a program right now where they're they're not loaded with talent. They're not uh they're not filled with a bunch of four and five stars who haven't lived up to expectations. That's a team full of three stars and some two stars and guys that they, you know, just found before they were even rated who have bought into a hard-nosed coach's vision who have a, a very solid team culture who play very disciplined football. They do not beat themselves and they find ways to win football games. That is, that is what Florida state is playing in Virginia. And in a lot of ways now scheme wise, there's some differences, but in a lot of ways, what Florida state is going to face in this game is a team that represents what Mike Norvell might hope Florida state is in 2021 or 2022 would probably be too, it would be too early to expect it in 2021. But if you're looking at 2022, given what they're doing, recruiting wise, realistically speaking, who they're getting on campus. I mean, they're not, they're not loading the cupboard with a bunch of, uh, of blue chip talent. What you're looking at on the field in this game for Virginia, with a couple exceptions in terms of talent, basically what Mike Norvell and his staff have to be hoping that Florida state looks like in 2022. Basically, a, de- a strong physical defense that is going to run to the football and hit doesn't necessarily have the most talented guys at every level, but they've got a few players that are going to give you some serious trouble, and they've built around those guys, 
And from there, they're going to, they're, they're just not going to beat themselves and they're going to find ways to run the football. They're going to get some big plays here and there in the passing game. Not much for this team now that they've, they, they actually lost one of their key big play guys earlier in the year, but Norvell add that big play component and Florida state will always be able to recruit at least a couple guys that can run. But basically, they're going to find some ways to give you trouble on defense. And you're going to have to be sound to beat this Virginia team. Now, the problem is that Florida State hasn't been sound in a whole lot all year, particularly on the defensive side. And Virginia on the offensive side, we'll, we'll start Virginia's offense versus Florida State's defense. On the offensive side, Virginia demands that you be super gap sound, super assignment sound, or they will run it down your throat all game. And they're going to run it all sorts of different ways. <laughs> and they've they've run it reasonably okay against everybody. I mean, they 147 yard, yards rushing, 3.87 yards per carry at Clemson. Right? 5.29 yards per carry for 185 yards rushing at Miami. 4.12 yards per carry for 210 rushing yards against North Carolina. This is a team that can run the football and they do it with a bunch of guys who with a bunch of with a bunch of movement and guys that are they don't have any any back that's special. Telepapa, Wayne Telepapa is their main guy, but really the guy that they're going to run their offense through is Brennan Armstrong, their quarterback, sophomore quarterback, and he's kind of a poor man's Tebow, even left-handed. He's a little quicker than than what Tebow is you know, Tebow was, that is not the tank that Tebow was, but he's a hard guy to get on the ground and they, they run the heck out of the quarterback in this offense and they do it all sorts of ways. In fact, their backup quarterback, Katayan Thompson, who come in with the quarterback with the, wearing the number 99, if that tells you anything about him, Katayan Thompson is a guy that they will line up all over the place. And actually, again, if you're looking at this from the Florida state perspective, Florida State, if they're able to get what they want at the quarterback position down the line, Katayan Thompson is kind of the blueprint for what Florida State might hope to be able to do with Jordan Travis if he's no longer the starting quarterback. Thompson is a 6'4", 215-pound guy who runs physical. He, he is a physical guy. But he also is the, the, the most explosive and bursty guy they have on their offense. And they'll line him up at wide receiver. They run him on jet sweep action. They'll they'll motion him into the backfield and hand it off. And they'll motion him into the backfield and he'll take the snap. They'll run all sorts of stuff with that guy. And he's maybe the biggest problem for teams as they play them. Even though he he's only got 28 carries on the year, as opposed to Armstrong with 94, those 28 carries have made teams pay. And when they put them both back there, both guys can throw. And they're going to run some read option stuff. They're, they're, they're going to use some trickeration. They're going to do all sorts of stuff to create problems for you and to, to add gaps. They're going to use an extra tight end to add a gap here, extra tight end to add a gap there. And then motion Thompson into the slot or in, in you know, they'll, they'll motion him across and suddenly he's a blocker to add an extra gap or they'll motion him into the backfield and he's taking it, taking the, the jet sweep handoff. Oh no, he doesn't have the ball. Armstrong's got it going the other way and he's walking in. That's what they do. And for a Florida State team that's had trouble being gap sound, that's had trouble with guys actually doing their jobs, that is not a good, that is not a good matchup. 
Now, the plus side is that, as I said earlier, they don't have a ton of big play capacity on their on their offense. They they just don't have guys that are really big play receivers. I mean, Lavelle, Lavelle Davis is the one guy that you have to worry about on their offense. And he he's back from injury now for the first time. Uh, he, he came back against Louisville a couple weeks ago. He's the one guy you got to worry about. And, and the unfortunate thing for Florida state is that he's probably not the good Matt. He's not a guy you want to put Asante Samuel on all game to just say, okay, we're going to, we're going to take away your one big play guy because he's six, seven two ten, And they just basically their, their big play offense on the receiving side on the passing game side is just throw it up and let that guy go up for jump balls. So you're going to have to find a way to cover him as you you got, you got to make sure you got a safety over top or or have your biggest corner out there you you do what you can to get a matchup that's not going to be really disadvantageous to you out there so that you can take him away otherwise it's really Poljan their their tight end that you have to watch the most along with the backs those are the guys that are going to give you the most trouble throw into the backs throw into Poljan the tight end and then running the football. Then they will they will dink and dunk you down the field. This is a team that loves the 10-11 play drive where they grind your nose in it at the end of the drive with a with a, a two-play, three-play situation on the goal line where finally somebody runs it in. That's what they want to do. And the thing is, they do it well enough that they've scored a lot of points. Scored 31 in a win against Louisville, 44 in a win over North Carolina. Only scored 14 at Miami in a, in a loss there, but that game was a torrential rainstorm. Lost to Wake Forest, but scored 23 there. Scored 21 against NC State in a loss. 23 against Clemson. So this is a team that can actually score, and if you have trouble stopping the run, good luck. So that's the thing. Florida State's going to have to find a way to make sure that they have the 6-7 wide receiver covered on the verticals, that they can do something to handle the tight end a little bit. And then really it's all about stopping the run and stopping the quarterback run game. And they'll go four downs. They'll, if it's fourth and one, they're going to run the quarterback and they're going to get that first down. That's what they do. So that's what you're worried about on the Florida state side. And it's going to be tough to keep them under their season average, given Florida state's weaknesses. It's going to be tough to keep them under their season average of 5.3, yards per play. I think realistically, if Florida State keeps them under five yards per play, that would be a win for this Florida State defense. Not many teams have kept them under five yards per play. I mean, Clemson, they average 5.1. So I think, you know, I expect them to average maybe close to six yards per play in this game, which is going to put a lot on Florida State's offense to beat a defense that, quite frankly, I don't think they're going to beat. Because that's a good defense. And again, the weaknesses of that defense happen to line up with where Florida State's not exactly the strongest on offense. They're going to line up with a hybrid front with some physical guys on that defensive front. And that's what they do. And they're going to stop the run. They're going to sell out to stop the run against a team that can't threaten them downfield. And the guy you have to worry about the most is outside linebacker. He's kind of a hybrid, Charles Snowden. That guy is an absolute stud. 6'7", 240, number 11. You're going to see him all over the field for for them. He's going to be in the backfield for against Florida State a bunch. And you got to know where he is and you got to make sure that your your offensive line is handling him because he will get his hand on the football. He's going to chase stuff down from behind and he's a beast when it comes to rushing the passer. 
And there are a couple plays that I've seen them. There are a couple times I've seen them this year where he's been assigned to the quarterback and he's finessed it enough, or he, I'm sorry, he's been assigned to the running back in, in say a zone read situation and he'll do his running back responsibility. He'll take the running back away. Quarterback will pull it. And then he'll still chase the quarterback down before the quarterback gets to the line of scrimmage. Cause he's six, seven, so long and so quick. So they've got a, a, a dude on the, on the edge that can play. And then they're, they're pretty good on the inside. Not great, not huge, but they're disciplined on the inside and they're really good at the linebacker position in terms of being, being able to read their keys, get downhill. They're really well coached and really physical. The weakness that that defense has is in the secondary. They're going to give up big plays. If you can throw it deep and you've got guys that can go up and get it and can run and can get, get behind guys, they can, they're going to give up some plays. Miami would have, would have blown that game open had they not overthrown or just flat out missed a number of, a number of plays in that game. They'll line up and they will they'll go quarters on you and they'll single cover that slot. And Florida State has seen the last few weeks, if you don't have a guy that can cover in the slot, then those slot receivers can eat you up if you're going to do that. Well, Virginia's safeties, slot defenders are not always that good and are not always in a good matchup position. They're just not that good coverage-wise. And you can get some, you can get some big plays in the RPO game, say with a little glance route to the slant or to the, uh, to the uh, slot receiver, little slant routes, that sort of thing. You can get some big plays against that secondary because they don't run all that well. And they've got some guys that you, you feel like you can beat them over the top, but Florida state hasn't really thrown it that well. So what are you going to expect? So that's the matchup and they're good on special teams too. So any advantage that you would expect Florida state to have there, I think pretty much gets erased. So looking at what they've done, defensively on the year and and sort of how that's broken down. They've given up about six yards per play on the year, which is not great, but they've been pretty good against the run. And ultimately that's where, that's where this game is decided because Florida state wants to run the ball a bunch and they're only giving up 3.7 yards per, per rush. Florida state's going to need to be able to run it to win it. I think they'll end up holding FSU under six yards of play, probably closer to about 5.3. This is a game Florida state can win. But they're going to have to be disciplined to do it. And I think ultimately, Virginia, culturally and otherwise, is in a better spot. I'm going to go with Virginia to win this game. About 60%, 65% chance of winning this game. And I'm going to go with Virginia winning this game 34-24. to 24. It's a game Florida State can win, but they're going to have to show some significant improvement to do it. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. As well as Jonathan Kennedy and Tyler Kashishki. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this. <laughs>